3: Thanks, Live guys. from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Dami. Tonight on Fast, retails Mr. Fix-It, the man whose industry record spans decades, tells us how he'd save America's struggling retailers. Alan Questrom joins us exclusively. Plus. Trucking along, why tonight could be an electric night for Tesla investors, we will explain. And later, a stealth software stock that needs to be on your radar heading into next week will bring you that name. But we begin with a brokerage bombshell, a source telling CNBC that Charles Schwab is in talks to buy TD Ameritrade, the merger, would create a behemoth with more than $5 trillion in combined assets and consolidated space already undergoing massive upheaval. It all started just a few weeks ago when Schwab cut commissions to zero. That move sparking a flurry of headlines over the frantic race to the bottom. TD Ameritrade, E-Trade, Fidelity all following suit. But with today's news of a possible deal between two of the giants, has the race to zero become a sprint for survival?
4: I don't know. Well, hello there, Mel. Oh, hello. I don't know if it's a race to zero. I don't know if it's a sprint to survival. I think it's genius by Schwab, and I think Dan Nathan, to my right, alluded to it a few weeks ago when this all happened, I think Schwab was genius, cut rates to zero, watched the rest of their competitors go to zero effectively in terms of the stock. I mean, TD Ameritrade went from 50 to 32, almost in a straight line. And then a couple of weeks later, make an announcement like this. So they probably are buying the stock or buying the company at levels that they wouldn't have been able to buy them. A month or so ago, so good for them. This makes Schwab a huge force now in the business and the play. They a are lot. the force. They, I mean, they were exactly forced, close. but even more so now. And quickly, I think people say, well, E-Trade's next to go. Yeah, maybe, not so fast. I think there's still room on the downside. And the second derivative play, in my opinion, a Morgan Stanley, for example, I think you're going to see... In my opinion, I think you're going to see advisors sort of flee the wirehouses more so than they have and go to names like this where they can hang their shingle, do their thing, get paid more, own their business. And I think this could be really negative for Morgan Stanley. It wasn't today. I think it could be
3: what is uh, what is Charles Schwab buying what would they be buying well exactly? it's interesting
5: so so Matt Levine at Bloomberg um, you know he had a really good piece out today saying that Schwab broke a Ameritrade so they could buy it and and if you yeah. think about it and you know you just kind of went through what was the lost revenue going forward yeah. from commissions i think you know 7% of Schwab's um, revenues were commissions versus 36% for Ameritrade. And so, really, what they're trying to do is ag- obviously aggregate assets, but they also want this active trader thing because they are going to cross sell. They're going to get. New revenues out of these asset bases. So, to me, I I guess the biggest thing that I would just say is that these have become commoditized utilities, right? When you see the pricing of certain services go down like that, and there's not a whole heck of a lot of differentiation, I'll just tell you this: I know the guys at Ameritrade over there; they have good, they have good tools, you know, they have good stuff. So, when you put all this stuff together, I think you're going to probably find better education, better tools, and you know, and then they figure out
1: how to cross sell a lot of different things. Look, what did they buy? They bought a brand. I mean, come on, they bought a very sticky brand these two names together it's 80 billion in market cap we said it's five trillion at the top of the show no one's close to them and and think about again the stickiness of the asset base guy brings up just some some dynamics going on in in the ria and in the investment management business but the people that are with these two companies um probably have been there for a long time people don't really switch So the fact that they've gotten that big of a head start on everybody else, Mm -hmm. uh, and essentially, as we've talked about, kind of put the competition out of the game. When look, if you were listening to TD's calls over the last year, uh, you were hearing frustration from analyst community, whatever, uh, executing all day long. But where's the growth coming from? Where's the growth coming from? And and let's face it, I mean, this is this was the question. The M and A question was the one everyone was asking. Uh, I don't think they expected this. I think they expected E Trade. Uh, But look at this,
6: Karen. I just think it's brilliant. I mean, it was only. September 30th, that Schwab did this. So the targets probably lost more in market cap, right? I mean, yeah. they were able to buy it. It's only, it's only what it was, seven weeks later. This has to have been started before today, these discussions, yeah. right? They seem to be very far along. That's got to be a couple of week process. Think about how quickly they went out there, they did this, crushed everyone's business, and then our seemingly able to buy a big swath of assets. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Now, obviously, it's a land grab. What do you do? You, I mean, if you're left, if you're an interactive broker, right, if right. you're an E-Trade, you've you got to be scrambling because it's only going to get harder for you now. Not, it's already hard enough as opposed to September 30th. Is
3: it even possible for a Morgan Stanley or a Goldman Sachs to, to buy, buy one of these platforms? I mean, from a regulatory it, perspective, even. I would think absolutely from a regulatory yeah.
6: perspective. It's right? I mean, the amount of assets you know, out there... You know what's there, so like, funny? That
5: is such a 1999 question. Those, those literally... If Fast Money existed in 1999, those were the questions that were, were being asked. Will E-Trade get... get yeah. No, I'm just saying, we're partying like it's 1990, 20 years later. I mean, that, that's really... Be. It's really interesting to think of the evolution. They were massive disruptors in the 90s. You know, Schwab were, was yeah. a massive disruptor well, in the these 70s or were day tech. No, I... You get it? I, that? Yeah, but the, so so the thing is, I think the only path forward, though, is really consolidation amongst what we would used to call the discounters, and now we just call them online. well, and
1: and disruptors yeah. who are getting disrupted themselves, right? So Robinhood came out, yeah. so you had, on, you, had yeah. you basically had platforms are saying it's free. We're, yes. we're throwing Channel this out, so, so they were disrupted and, and they jumped ahead, and all those you know you know they skated where mm. the puck was going and all that but, stuff, and and boom, and here we are today, and nobody's even close.
6: But one last thing about antitrust, I mean, the customer is paying zero now for a lot of things. It's hard. I mean, maybe in, maybe the administration would have some problem. I doubt it. The, the, the market share is big. an issue, is right? It? I mean, the, the, I don't know.
5: But you know what's really interesting? When you think about the combined revenues of these two companies, it's like $16 billion. And a guy just mentioned Morgan Stanley. It's a a company that's going to have a similar market cap to the combined entities, and it's got $40 billion in sales. It's just much more diversified. So I think that you could see a a big um, investment bank buy something like that. It would just be a much smaller percentage of their whole. Um, It actually makes it more competitive in a way. If you see six online brokers go to three, that's not a great situation. That's when regulators start to get their antennas up. Just think about in the wireless. Space when when they weren't even allowing like three and four to merge when you had these this duopoly which right. was AT and T and Verizon I think you'll probably get to that point at some point not too distant future I mean
4: Schwab was genius for a number of reasons not least of which only think like seven or eight percent of their revenues were driven by commissions where E Trade and some of these other places are anywhere from. to 30% so they could say you know what we can afford to go to zero but now you have to look at Schwab the stock and say does it make sense at these levels stock obviously rallied today but it trades close to 20 20 times next year's earnings with no real significant EPS growth it's going to take time to make this all happen I mean my inclination is if you're tracing
1: Schwab here you're trading wrong and and here's, here's the other thing about that chart that chart is a function of a 10-year bull market. I mean, on some level, think about the market that these guys have been in. Think about a low interest rate environment. The $5 trillion combined in assets also has something to do with home equity loans and and, and revolving credit and things that they're offering. That's, that's huge business. That's huge margin business, and that's great for them. I'm just saying, if you think and you're concerned about the cyclicality of this type of a business where we are in the market cycle, um, that's another reason to be very cautious. That's but kind of what Guy's talking about. Does
3: this deal make them better suited for the, for the downturn has yet to come
1: it, it makes them better suited for a market connected downturn but but let's be clear we talk every day about the consumer guy talks about how levered they are their penchant for spending um and their want for spending and and so th- that's the story is the is the u.s consumer levered and there's no question that they're 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 borrowing money from these banks who i don't think are giving it away and, and they have collateral at these places but that's part of the core business I, well, I think Tim's right. The correlation
6: with the market, right, is, is clearly there. But also, I mean, if rates move higher, that's mm. really good. Cool. For-
5: well, hold on. They just took out their number one competitor. How many industries do you see that happen? And then when you think about how leveraged a the technology they are, think about how much cost they're going to take out. I mean, no matter what the market does, two years out, three years out, this is going to be a home run for you know the fact that they're not competing on a marketing front. These guys
6: spend right, hundreds they, of millions I, of dollars a year trying to get more, their... But it could trade down if the market's of down. Of course. It's right?
5: Yeah, we're in agreement.
6: But,
3: okay. Yeah. Dennis being... I mean, listen uh, that's to you. really dismissive No, right. no, no. no yeah, I mean, it's we're in agreement. That's as good as it gets for us right here. I mean, uh, oh, should I, we not talk to Dan? Dan, Dan we can shut I him well, down. Okay, so, yeah. I think that's really impossible. <laughs> Let's play Karnak.
4: Oh, I like that game. When you Do put you? that card up and say, okay. "Okay,"
3: the next the next combination in this space will be.
4: Oh wow! Well, I mean, I think at a certain point, E Trade goes. I don't know if it's Goldman Sachs that's going to gobble up, but I think E Trade will go. But I think there's going to be pain. For the next couple of months, it's going to be very painful for E-Trade. I think they're going to let that one sort of die in the vine, and then somebody will come in and gobble it up. But if I had a guess, E-Trade goes March of next year. How's that? Like that? You
3: want to play Carnac? Sure. We'll play. Uh, I
4: think
5: it's probably. Is he allowed back? back? Yeah.
3: Oh,
4: I'm very I'm back. back. I'm back. You guys did not going to see me
5: to the C block, but uh, I'm back. No, I think it's probably your Robin Hood, Tim. I oh. mean, I think it's like you get a little aqua hire action,
1: you get those guys, these two young guys. Well, it could of be create- a take private. I mean, there's different. I think you're also yeah. talking about there, there could be private equity money that sees a lot of value in E Trade. I'm sure E uh, Trade's not going away tomorrow. Let's be clear. I think what we're talking about is who's in the pole position. But uh, how about a money center bank? I mean, how about to uh, yeah. me? Yeah. That, that uh, business is mostly. Much more sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I,
6: private equity does I mean, you need to it's scale. It's all about scale and reduction of costs. Right. So it has to be well, somebody giant. I, I, that would I, make the most sense. But if
1: it's private not, equity is also great at taking businesses uh-huh. private that are in, in in structurally difficult times and finding and finding the valuable assets, selling off the pieces. You know, that's so not the total playbook. Let me ask but, you
3: guys, this is shareholders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If Citigroup or Bank of America, one of those two, let's say, said tomorrow we're going to buy E Trade. Would you be happy about it? Or for the,
1: the right price, price, I would be. Um, and, and I think, again, their businesses are complementary, uh, and, and Citibank uh, and Bank of America have booming, thriving wealth management RAA businesses as well, that I think this makes a lot of sense. But the infrastructure, the pipes, everything they have makes a lot of sense.
6: Karen? Yeah, I agree. I think, it would, I think it would, it's a chance for them to reduce costs and run more efficiently. And, yeah, I would.
3: Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right, coming up.
1: Don't ask Dan. Yeah. He, up. Him. he played know, Karnak already.
3: Coming up, stocks finishing in the red today, and one top technician has two names to buy. If you're looking for shelter amid the pullback, he'll reveal what they are. Plus, former JCPenney CEO Alan Questrom will give us his retail roundup. He'll break down the winners and losers of the retail space. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. The record rally taking a breather this week with the Dow and S&P 500 falling hard for the third straight day. And if you think this is the beginning of an even bigger pullback, our next guest says uh, he's got a few ideas on where to take cover. Strats Rob Slimer, over at the Plasma to break it all down. Hey, Rob.
2: Hey, Melissa. Thanks very much. So let's take a look at the short term. Pretty much every technical analyst on the street's been worried about this little short term peak developing. I think it's really important we keep it in the context. So here's the market starting to come off just a little bit. A lot of support down in that 3,025 range. I'm not sure we're even going to get down that far. We're still pretty bullish on the market. We have been all year. And we think the playbook that we saw in 2019, where we get these momentum peaks here and here and here and now here, is unlikely to give us the same sort of pullbacks that we saw through the bulk of 2019. Why is that? Well, if we take a look at the longer-term chart... We think the playbook's changed, and we've, we've used this chart a number of times before, but what's really important here is this long-term uh, picture of the S&P in the top panel. That's the 200-week moving average. It tracks the four-year average for the market, and it's such a good barometer for where the long-term support is. We saw it in 2011. We saw it in 16, and we saw it in uh, 18 as well. So we think coming out of this trading range we're still in a whole new market cycle and we're in that second up leg this indicator in the bottom not that many people follow it but it's a copic curve and it's a very good way at least we found it very good over the years to track when we're getting into these cycle lows there was one back in 2011 and 12 another one in 16 and we and down in here this cycle should carry us out into 2021 22 so we still think there's more upside for equities in general however there's a lot of people that are still concerned about the market Caterpillar is not a defensive name by any means but the key point here is we still think we're not going to see that much of a pullback. So this downtrend has been broken, you're getting a little bit of a pullback. In fact, what was interesting today when the market was down, the semis were getting hit, cyclicals were up, banks were up, uh, we, and, and yields were up. So we still think there's more upside in these cyclical names. Maybe a little volatile but we still think they're going higher. That relative performance trend that's been in place for two years is reversed. Very similar to what we saw in 2016. So if you're concerned about the market, I can understand not wanting to buy Caterpillar. Our view is it still goes higher well into the first quarter. you want a defensive name? I think J&J is well-suited right here, right now. There's that 200-week moving average. It's sitting on it. For reference, if you think about what Nike did in 2017, that's the exact same spot before it took off. And that's exactly where... Uh, Disney was in 2018, just hovering around the 200-week moving average and getting ready to go. Sure, it's weak. It hasn't had a lot of performance, but that's exactly what Nike and Disney look like over the last couple of years. So defensive name, I'd st- stick with Johnson Johnson.
3: Rob Slimer, come on over. Bring him Rob, over. Bring the chair over as he so aptly does.
4: You know, Will got the staples. Remember I mentioned he hurt his head. Close he throat. hit his head. He got staples. He in. got staples. Yeah. He had the staples removed. removed so yes, so all, Will is all his red head. Okay. I mean, anyway, he's not a red head.
3: He's reddish. It's neither here nor there. Neither here nor there. Um, I, I understand you're a technical strategist, but when you present these ideas to clients, what's their reaction? I would think that... <laughs> that you get a lot of pushback. On, to on, on the cyclical so, on, your, on John, Johnson Johnson and Caterpillar, because John, Caterpillar, for one, is, is, tie, is in the crosshairs of the China trade war. Hundred percent. Johnson has I got all this litigation risk. I mean, right.
2: so we we've been bullish on cyclicals through the year. I think we got the semi call fairly well throughout the year. The turn in the cyclicals looks very long term to us, at least at least through two thousand and twenty. Uh, We see it with names like J.P. Morgan breaking out a big trading range. The pushback is tremendous. Nobody wants to own deep value. Nobody wants to own cyclicals. And I tell you, if you look at the charts, they look pretty convincing to me, particularly from a long-term standpoint. I can understand we get a bit of volatility into year-end around some of of these names that have run. I think CAT's up, what, 26% off the November lows, October lows. Uh, And then on J&J, yes, there's pushback. But I think that's great. That's what we want to hear. We want to hear people don't like these names. That's how people get back into the stock. So,
6: so are you saying that, uh, let's talk about if something goes wrong with China trade, right, that the cyclicals have a different risk-reward built into them at these prices than the market on uh, I a mean, whole? I,
2: I think we have to make the assumption it's an assumption that if, it could be. If, if, there's, if trade goes bad, there's, these stocks are going to get hit. But again, when, if you step back, a lot of these stocks have been under pressure for two years. And while trade has been part of the issue, I think a lot of it's been the economy. And the backdrop, when you talk to Tom Lee on the fund strategy on the fundamental side, uh, you know, the ISMs look like they're about to bottom. I think it's more about the economy than it is about the trade deal. So yes, it'll be volatility, but I, I don't think they're going down that much.
1: So Rob, it seems like the same part of that trade is would then also be Germany and 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 trade economies. Yes, um, would EM. be yeah, would be emerging markets, would be a FedEx. I mean, do you feel the same way about are these charts?
2: All similar to you? Very similar. They most of them, FedEx is a little bit of a different animal, but generally, when you go across the industrials and the transports, the banks, it's the same profile. One to two years down, right to their long-term secular uptrend, which I think is really important uh, germany is somewhat similar em looks the same way and part of that trade is i think the dollar is peaking yes. longer term and that's going to be a very controversial call but i think that's what's happening i think it's going to be a big tailwind for cyclicals
3: thank you rob thank rob, rob you. slimer of funstrat would you rather on this out of the desk well
4: not caterpillar i mean i hear what rob is saying <laughs> cats had a move you go back to their third quarter on october 23rd it was miserable missed on eps missed on revenue and then they're prior guidance, which you could drive one of their tractors through, was up oh, from nice. 11. It's true. 11.75 to 12.75 was their guidance. They ratcheted that down to 10.59 to 11.09. So now you have negative EPS growth, and it trades at too big a valuation. So I understand if you think some magical China deal is going to happen and all of a sudden every, every rig in the country is going to have a Caterpillar label next to it. I just don't see that happening. I would take profits. Yeah, listen, I'm not playing
5: your game, but you know, back to what? his SPX, the, the s S&S p S&S S&S 500, and he's calling for a, a a little pullback. Let me tell you this: the December 31st quarterly spy, that's the ETF that tracks the S&P 500. The at-the-money put is less than five dollars. That's one and a half percent. The S&P is up 24 percent. If you thought you wanted protection between now and the end of the year, it costs you one and a half percent. That's pretty astounding, and it tells you there's a level of complacency right here. And I think you're probably going to be right back towards that, uh, you know, that 300 level
2: in the or 3,000, I guess, in the S&P. I think you can get a very shallow consolidation. Well, and I brought her back. Uh-oh, Dan, Dan is I so back. in trouble. So dog We're We're out of the
1: rest of Holy doghouse. See you guys in the F block. First of all, we'll I, take... I think
3: Will should take your chair out. Oh,
1: my goodness. <laughs> we'll take Robert all day long. <laughs> Thank you again,
3: Rob. For more of the markets, head on over to our website, com. Here's what else we've got coming up on Fest.
4: <laughs> Retail at the forefront again today. With earnings from Gap and Nordstrom, we dive into the numbers and look for the winners and losers in the space. And then, we explore the universe of under-the-radar software companies to find out how the options market is betting on Viva Systems. Those stories and more when Fast
5: Money
7: returns. Canva presents Unexplained Appearances.
3: Welcome back to Fast Money. The retail earnings keep rolling in. Shares of Nordstrom and Gap both on the move after reporting results. Let's get to Courtney Reagan back at headquarters with all of the details. Courtney.
8: Hi, Melissa. So Nordstrom shares are up almost 9% here after beating earnings by wide margin, increasing full-year guidance, so that one just by a bit. The off-price Nordstrom rack business, positive sales growth 1.2% on less inventory, so that's good. But the department store sales business unit saw net sales fall more than 4%. Overall, fewer markdowns in the quarter, so that did help grow margins. On the call, executives said there's been a, quote, strong response to that new New York City flagship just one month in and a stronger sales lift more so than expected at the men's store across the street. Co-president Eric Nordstrom said, quote, opening this flagship has been perhaps the most important milestone in our company's long history. First imagined about 20 years ago, and it took seven years from start to finish to open those doors. Well, gap shares, those are higher, too, as the adjusted earnings came in slightly better than that pre-announced number two weeks ago. The comps, though, unchanged, down 4%, and that lowered full-year earnings guidance, that one was reaffirmed. On the call, interim CEO Robert Fisher said the search for a new permanent CEO is moving with, quote, urgent and the company is looking at both internal and external candidates. Fisher also said the Old Navy spin-out is moving forward.
1: The board and I continue to believe in the strategic rationale of the separation and the benefits it is expected to provide. First, the focus provided by separation will enable both Gap Inc. and Old Navy to better serve their two distinct customer sets, each with an operating model tailored to their respective business needs.
8: Fisher continued to say, look, Old Navy is competing with rivals that have a singular focus on value. That's what it needs to do. He also said the separation will ultimately drive improved cost efficiencies in the rebuilding of both the operational structures and the operating models for both companies, the gap brands that remain, and then Old Navy by itself. The big question, Melissa, was, is that, was that spin out going to continue now that Art Peck is no longer CEO? And as of now, yes. Back over to you.
3: All right, Courtney, thank you. Courtney Reagan back at headquarters. Um, Let's get a quick trade first, Karen, in terms of these names.
6: Well, once again, we're seeing the haves and the haves not, although have not. JWN is the most interesting to me. They actually raised their midpoint from 332 to 340, so an $0.08 raise. They were trading at a 10 multiple. That should have been an $0.80 improvement in the stock. And yet it's up 10%. Right, so people clearly were pessimistic. The bar was very low going in, and uh, so they they managed to hop over it. Macy's, on the other hand, the bar was very low; they still tripped over it. And
3: I mean, I don't know how. It's 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 going to be tough sledding. Well, we'll get we'll get to it. Yeah. It's been a week of hits, runs and errors in the retail space. So let's Hmm. get some perspective from a man who has spent more than five decades in the industry. Alan Questrom's retail resume runs deep. He's known for holding top jobs at JCPenney, Neiman Marcus, Macy's and Barney's, New York, and has served on Walmart's board as well. He's now a director for the retailer at home. Alan, welcome back to Fast Money. Great to see you.
9: Nice to be here.
3: So many people have called for the death of the department store. Here we are. We've got a few reports. Some were misses, some were hits. What's your assessment of where we are right now in this space?
9: I, I think the, the department store, and particularly the mall business, is undergoing under enormous change. And I think, quite frankly, we need to see a continue, continuous closing of stores. I would say another 30%. We have just too many stores. I think the good news that you've heard from Nordstrom, even though their business was down... They have fewer stores. I think they can put the kind of attention into those fewer stores that are needed in the department store space. The stores have got to be exciting. There's got to be a reason for being there. And quite frankly, right now, I don't know what the reason to go to Penny's or what the reason to go to Macy's is. If you go into the Nordstrom store, quite frankly, you go in, they have terrific sales associates. Their new store that they just opened has a tremendous presentation of food, which brings a lot of energy and it brings people back into the store on a regular basis, particularly in the city. That may not work so well in the suburbs. I think one of the things you see when you see the Walmarts and you see the Targets, they have a grocery store business. That grocery store business at Walmart is over 57% of their business. Mm-hmm. That means people are coming in every week to buy. In the case of the department stores, they don't have that. People are not coming in because now they can buy it on the internet, and it 's not that it, they have their internet business themselves, but the point is if i don 't come in to buy it in the store, I miss all those impulse purchases, so I buy my bra or I buy my underwear, but now i don 't come in to I buy that on the internet, but now i don 't pick up all those impulse purchases. that is the biggest thing that is hurting. The, the, the malls and the department stores is people are not coming into the stores as often they're not visiting as many stores as they come in because they've already pre-planned through their, their iPhone right. and that is this has all happened in the last 10 12 years since the iPhone has become the dominant force of people's communication today.
3: I mean I agree with that I mean I have a Bloomingdale's three blocks from my house and I haven't set foot there for a long time but I have bought online um, Alan I'm just I'm curious By the way, You
9: should, go, you should <laughs> go to the Bloomingdale's the store now because they've renovated it and I think they done a All terrific right. job in the contemporary side
3: maybe'll give it a tr- I'll give it a whirl <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> on, on your recommendation um, Is it that the stores that the chains are reluctant to close fast enough I was talking to Terry Lundgren formerly of Macy's earlier this week and he basically said the same thing we're just completely overstored. I think his number was a little bit lower maybe 20 25 percent of stores still need to close Is it just that department stores don't have the courage to actually make those really hard decisions? Fast
9: enough? Well, they ha- it's, it's a matter of giving up a lot of volume. And in fact, you mm-hmm. may end up giving a lot, but a lot of volume and a lot of profit on the short term. But remember, uh, Walmart and Target both were willing to give up volume and profit as they put in the changes that they put in place two, three years ago. That has resulted in big improvements in their their profitability and in their sales. And it's really about how do I make my store a reason to be? And quite frankly, right now, I'm not sure why you want to go to Bloomingdale's or why you want to go to Macy's, why you want to go to Nordstrom. I think Nordstrom has done a better job. When you do go into the store, they have very good salespeople who really help you through the transaction. And I think many of the department stores have lost the, the touch with the people. The people are not involved with the customer. Many of them are not even trained. And, and that's an enormous de- a detriment. In addition to the fact, the stores are not neat and exciting. So that has to be done. And I think you can do that better by focusing in on a fewer fewer stores than they have today. Whether it's twenty percent or thirty percent, it needs to be less of them. And we need to put more attention into those stores to make sure that you got the right sales associates, you got the right assortment, and you make mm-hmm. the so- assortments exciting so that people want to come in and see what's new, what's different. And right now, that's not happening.
0: Who
3: are the winners in the space, Alan? And do you own any? Retail stocks aside from the places where you've worked.
9: I tend to not to buy retail stock because I'm in that business and I'm not always as objective. (laughs) But I (laughs) I tell you, if I was going to if I was going to buy if I was going to buy stock, it would be it would continue to be a Target or Walmart, a Home Depot, RH, Restoration, how I think he's done a spectacular job of creating new ideas and making it an exciting place to shop.
3: Equestrum retail basket. I want to ask you about one last thing, Alan, and that is the thing that concerns you most because I think this is very interesting. The whole consignment trend that we're seeing with the likes of a Poshmark and the Real Real, do you really think this could be a threat to the retail business at large? I think it's, a sm- it's
9: going to be a small business. I do. Okay. I think if, pe- if people say that they don't want to buy new clothes because it's bad for the environment, that may be <laughs> a difference. But I think people still want to buy new clothes. But there's not a lot of new things out there that you think you, you really need to add to your assortment.
3: Oh, okay, so it's the merchandise's fault at this point. It's not exciting enough.
9: Yeah, and I think it's, it's also the, it's, it's more the people's fault because it's, it's the managers who have to make those changes and the right. creators have to come up with interesting ideas.
3: All right, Alan, great to speak with you. Thanks for your time.
9: Nice to be with you.
3: Alan Questrom, joining us from Dallas tonight. Always good to get his insights. So what do you think of uh, Mr. Questrom's retail basket?
1: I, I like it. And first of all, I mean, it's hard to argue with Target and Walmart. I mean, Target, yeah. who needs to own you know, Bitcoin and, and, and other high octane? I mean, Target's cannabis. been emerging cannabis. <laughs> I mean, you, you can own Target and have the kind of returns that you've had across the board. So um, what's interesting is, is he also had Lowe's in his list of folks that have lost touch with their customers. That's pretty interesting because Lowe's just gave you numbers that were actually quite strong, even though they do. You know, they traded a two-turn discount to, to Home Depot, um, but I, I think the big-box stores, you can also make an argument that there's too much competition in too many stores. And I think that the valuations here are a little bit scary. You know, here on the
4: Fast Money, we try new things. And we've recently tried something. Why are you smiling at me, Dan? Know, I... we, you're, Dan's being so mean to everybody tonight. <laughs> what are you tonight. talking about? But we, we started something I, called I, the chart of the week. Do you uh, recall yes, that, Melissa Lee? And, and the it most recent weekly. chart of the week yeah. was the restoration hardware. And I still think on valuation, chart, I, I still think that stock can go higher. And quickly, Nordstrom's, I hear what Karen is saying. They beat this quarter EPS by 18 cents. They only ratcheted up guidance for the full year by, I think, a nickel, maybe seven cents. So I can understand maybe why the stock. I thought this stock should have been north of 40 post-earnings. I was right in my assertion that you have a short-covering rally. I was wrong from the level that would happen. I thought it'd be from 38 to 42. It looks like it's going to be from 34.5 to 37.
3: Are you going to say something mean? Uh, no, I was just saying, of course you, you brought
5: up the real real, and I think that niches like that are really interesting, especially when we're spending so much talk- time talking about overstored sort of things. There's a company that's growing sales 30% a year. Yes, it's niche, but that's going to be a feature on Amazon or some other sort of site. It's probably not going to be a standalone for too long. Great brand. And there's always going to be an opportunity for resale and that sort of thing. So I think it's interesting.
3: Coming up, pot socks taking center stage during last night's Democratic debate. But we'll tell you why they're really lighting up today. Plus, more potential political ad changes for Google. We'll bring you the latest details. Much more Fast money straight ahead.
2: Issues do matter. Yes, I, I have a lot of respect uh, for for the vice president. He is swore me into my office as a hero. This week, I hear him literally say that I don't think we should legalize marijuana. I, 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 I thought you might have been high when you said it.
3: That was Cory Booker taking swipes at former Vice President Joe Biden's stance on marijuana at last night's Democratic presidential debate. Cannabis stock soaring for a second straight day today. So um, is this cannabis craze turning a corner at this point? I mean, they, they got we got to we
1: got take this with a grain of salt after the, the battering early in the week. There's yeah. an argument that maybe Monday, Tuesday, we actually Monday we had that capitulation moment, blood in the streets. But the, the positives of the last few days. So you have uh, Congress voting for the first time on federal prohibition ending it. I mean, that, that's something that um, the, the more is the acronym and the E is expungement, which is what Cory Booker is talking about. That's exciting stuff. That's very important stuff. Ontario is out today. And if you listen to all the Canadian LPs in their devastating... Statingly bad earnings they talked about how ontario the one place where they actually need to have retail open to sell all these high octane or high margin products um is is not been doing it that was a major issue ontario comes out today and says they're going to change that dramatically then you have u.s operators like cureleaf and gti in the last couple of days are profitable actually don't need to come to market necessarily gti's numbers were fantastic and i think you have a dynamic here where people could see the profitability uh at the end of the rainbow doesn't change the dynamics in capital markets a bit it's a very difficult time. shouldn't
3: that be a push pull for the u.s operators though i mean what you said about the house moving forward or closer to federal legalization and them being profitable federal legalization would be bad for them.
1: Well, it, it? I think, first of all, if you ask a lot of the companies, the, the big multi-state operators, while it, it affects their profitability, they're very happy building the businesses that they're building. And you, look, you're seeing separation between the haves and the have-nots in the multi-state uh, dynamics. I don't think, by the way, the, the, the real reading of that in the House isn't going to come till late 2020. It's a momentous event towards legalization. gives people a sense. It is happening. But you're right. The industry doesn't want it to happen that quickly. It's all about profitability. It doesn't change the trends in in the short run. But we got so oversold. Canopy growth is up 50% in three days. Okay, this is extraordinary. It's the biggest company in cannabis and added two billion in market cap. That's noteworthy. Doesn't mean it changes everything. It just means that things were really overdone.
3: From the politics of pot to the advertising of politics. Google making some big changes as we gear up for the 2020 election. Let's get to Julia Borson with the details. Hey, Julia.
10: Melissa, Google announcing that it will stop giving advertisers, political advertisers, the ability to micro-target their political ads. That means that candidates will be able to target based on age and gender and postal code but not using data about political affiliations or public voter records. Google also clarifying its policy on misleading advertising, saying it does ban any false claims and prohibits things such as deep fakes. But it says that the number of ads on which it takes action for those violations is uh, expects them to be very limited. Now Google plans to roll out this ban in the next week ahead of the uh, December 12th general election in the UK, and then will make these changes more broadly uh, globally in January. Now, in response to Google's announcement, Facebook, which does not fact check political ads, saying, quote, we've provided unprecedented transparency into all U.S., federal and state campaigns, and we prohibit voter suppression in all ads. As we've said, we are looking at different ways we might refine our approach to political ads. Now, putting these comments and these moves into context... Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey recently announced that Twitter is banning all political and issue advertising, while Snap allows political ads, but fact checks all of them. All of this comes amid growing regulatory concern from legislators about the power of the tech giants. Federal Election Commission Chairwoman Ellen Weintraub recently called for a ban on micro-targeting in the Honest Ads Act, which proposes Online political ads follow the same rules as TV ads was reintroduced earlier this year after being originally introduced back in 2017. Now, political ads are just a tiny fraction of the ad revenue of these tech giants. But how the companies that we're talking about here, Facebook and Google, and to a lesser extent, also Twitter and Snap, decide to handle these issues around political ads will be very important when it comes to the regulatory scrutiny that they face.
3: Melissa, back to you. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston in Los Angeles for us. Um, as Julia mentioned, a small percentage of revenue overall for all of these platforms, but are but, there bigger it's implications? A huge but. Here's
5: the huge but. It drives massive engagement. Okay, so these small, so in, and I think in the Trump campaign and the Hillary campaign combined, they spent like eighty million dollars in two thousand and sixteen. But think about the engagement and the shares. And how do they make money? They make money on selling ads based on engagement metrics. So it's a it's fuel, right? It's the most divisive stuff they can get on there, and they push it out, and engage, and then you sell other ads. You're
1: right. But I, I think what's fascinating about this is that mega cap social media, who who control uh, the way we consume and the way advertisers advertise. Advertise, are all making up their own rules right now, and I it, this is 2.0 or 3.0 so or 4.0, so and, and and they're willing to say at one point this would have been seen as total violation of free speech, free expression, free, you know, and and these guys are and these some of these people were the most righteous people on those topics and saying we're keeping it all out there. They know their business is at risk, and the good news is we don't know what the answers are for social media and advertising because we're evolving as a society, but but. These are important folks that are making important decisions, and they're decisions they wouldn't have made a year ago.
6: Yeah, I think there's a couple constituencies right there under the microscope politically. There's that. But also, I think there was pushback internally from their employees about how they felt about what the company should be doing. Mm -hmm. So I think that was an important constituency as well. I don't know that it's going to make a big difference in... I don't think it's going to make a big difference in earnings. I hear you're on engagement, but I I don't think it moves the needle that much. Right, just because the
3: revenue is so small.
4: Well, Facebook's engagement on October 30th, that third quarter, was actually north of 66%, I think, for one of the first times in in recent memory. The stock, I think the stock, for all the noise that's out there, and there's a lot of noise, you look at that third quarter, and it was absolutely spectacular. Yes, you can say maybe the fourth quarter guide was a little squishy. I think they're sandbagging. I think this stock wants to trade back to that July 2018 high of 211 or so, and we'll see what happens when it gets there.
3: All right. Up next, Tesla set to unveil its highly anticipated Cybertruck in Los Angeles tonight. We'll tell you how the big reveal could drive the stock. Plus, options traders are loving one soaring software stock up nearly 70 percent this year alone. We'll tell you the name and how they're playing it. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. There is something very interesting happening under the surface of the software space. Often overlooked names like... Avalara, Coupa mm-hmm. Software, Paycom, Anaplan, and Alteryx are surging most more than doubling this year as trade tensions drive investors to domestic players. There is one more name reporting earnings next week, and our next guest says it could be the next software sleeper to soar. Tribeca Trade Group founder and CEO Christian Frommerts joins us now. So, Christian, which stock I feel like we need a drum roll, Which stock mm-hmm. are you looking at?
11: So, looking at Viva, Soft, Viva Systems, which reports next week. So, ne- next Tuesday. So, I mean, I really think the software group has rested a bit. Um, Value really outperformed for the last couple weeks and we're starting to see a move back into the software plays as well as some of the more higher beta tech. Um, I think really it's it's interesting that these names have come back in vogue. Um, Right as the trade tensions move up, we're starting to see um, you know it, it feels like uh we 're seeing some of the same plays that we saw earlier in the year uh become really really good it 's like deja vu all over again to reference one of the yogi's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: so what kind of um move are you expecting are, are you looking sure, at sure so
11: so December options are pricing in a nine and a half percent move uh, implied move, which I think is a lot, so I think the right way to play. Uh, The name is through a call spread, and you could do that through the December 155-165 call spread. Uh, You're spending about 3 dollars 5 which is about 2% of the stock's price, which I think is a really good way to kind of play it. And I think the other thing that's really interesting about this is we're starting to see some call accumulation further out. If you look out in March, uh, we're seeing some uh, some call accumulation just yesterday, which totaled about uh, $700,000 in premium, which is a good size.
3: Right. And um, in, in terms of the technicals, you like this as well?
11: Yeah. I mean, a lot of these, these software names are starting to do the same thing. They're starting to retake the 200-day moving average, the 50-day moving average. And this one's doing the, the same exact thing right now. So um, I think with some of the names like ServiceNow that have already moved up decently, uh, Shopify is another one, Coupa Software, I think this one is, has a good chance to kind of uh, revisit those, those uh, recent highs as well.
3: All right. Christian, thank you. Thanks Christian so much. Christian of Tribeca. What do you uh, I think it's really interesting.
5: When you see a name like that, it's a $22 billion market cap, <laughs> high implied move. That means the options are expensive. But that being said, I think that's probably how you want to play a stock like that that is expensive and it's also up 70% in the year. You probably want to define your risk if you have a directional inclination.
3: All right, up next, it could be an electric night for Tesla as the company gets ready to roll out its new pickup truck. We'll take a look at what investors are watching for in this reveal. And check out the Kramer cam. Jim has got the CEO of chipmaker AMD, whose stock has more than doubled this year we got that full interview coming up Mad Money, top of the hour. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Tesla trying to get back to all-time highs as the company gets ready for its big cyber truck reveal tonight. Phil LeBeau's got all the details on what we can expect. Hey, Phil.
7: Melissa, you know the usual with these reveals. Elon Musk is going to put on a show later tonight in California. And when he does the Cybertruck, people forget about what they're going to show us. These are the things that people are going to be focused on in terms of the details about the truck. Range, towing capacity... We expect that it will be able to be a truck that you can plug in tools to, other accessories. Basically, think about uh, if you had a generator on wheels, so to speak. And finally, the base price, will it be under 50000 Elon Musk says that's where he wants to keep it at. This is him talking last month about the
2: Cybertruck. My opinion, and this could be totally wrong, it could be totally out to lunch here, but uh, I think the Tesla Cybertruck is our best product ever.
7: And they're not going to have it out to the customers until probably late 2021. We'll see if they give us some details today. That's the estimate at this point. GM today said that by the fourth quarter of 2021, it expects to have its first electric pickup truck. Ford likely will be in that 2021 time range as well. Rivian, maybe 2021, maybe 2022. And finally, Melissa, I want to show you this truck. This was announced today by Lordstown Motors. And you might be saying, Lordstown Motors? Who's that? Remember the old workhorse company? I shouldn't say old workhorse company. They bought Lordstown plant from General Motors. This is going to be the electric truck, the first one that they expect to build in that plant coming in the fourth quarter of 2020. As you take a look at shares of Tesla, remember, the reveal is about 11, 11. 11.15 tonight, Eastern Time. Mm -hmm. Melissa?
3: Do we, um, you know, cash spend, cash burn has been a concern for this company, Phil. um, Do we know anything about the economics of of the build of this truck?
7: No. That's, okay. that's the great fascination with this, the economics of it. And also, is it going to be a niche model, or is this something where they're going to say, look, we think we can sell these and really take on the pickup truck dominance of the big three. I would steer more towards the niche model at this point.
3: All right. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau you in Chicago for us. Um, we know that the crossover Y and Model 3, supposedly they share lots of parts, and so there's some economies of scale there. But for the company to embark on a brand-new Vehicle, we don't know where it's going to be made. We don't know if there are common parts with another vehicle that they make. I don't know. There are a lot of questions. There are a lot
4: of questions, and the biggest question is: Can the stock continue from its one seventy-five to three fifty-four unabated move over the last couple months? And I would submit, no. Now I've said that now for probably the last thirty-five or forty dollars, so that's been wrong. But you have to ask yourself: I mean, is this the sell the news event? I think it is now. The 386 level that we saw in June of 2017, I think that's what people are flagging. I don't think we get there.
1: So, 380, is certainly on the charts, is a place that you can see resistance. Selling Sell the news event means that this is an event that I think we are expecting to be a catalyst. I don't think that this is a catalyst. The catalyst for this company is doing 360 to 400,000 in deliveries this year and being profitable again. And so, you know, I... I you know I'm cynical on the stock, you know I'm short the stock. So I, you know, my view is that these tend to be sideshows. The the most important thing is, you know, can they make this at forty five grand? Probably not if they can't make the Model Three at thirty five grand. But the, the point more importantly is Let's see profitability. Let's see free cash flow and follow through on what were trends that were extraordinary. And I think that's really the most important thing for the stock.
3: The other thing that's limiting about the stock or about this particular truck is that a pickup truck is really popular in the United States, but not around the world. And Tesla's a global company at this point. That's what they are sort of banking on, right, that they can get economies of scale by being global. This is this is niche in so much that as the U.S. is a primary market for this vehicle. Well, so
5: Kathy Wood for ARC Investment, big Tesla bull. She has been for a long time, been on the show a bunch. Today she said, or on the network somewhere, she said that, that EVs are about to explode in America. And let me tell you what happened this week that I think is a lot more interesting than that. I think the Ford Mustang Mach-E, a lot of transparency on pricing. They had five different models. They told you exactly when they're going to be. I'll bet you they deliver on price and execution, on timing. And that's why I think EVs explode eventually in the U.S.
3: Up next, final trades.
1: Final trade time, Tim. A lot of news on Google in the last week or so, but their earnings reinforces it. this is a great valuation in a company that's growing in excess of that valuation.
3: Careful man.
6: Yes, I find myself in the uncomfortable position of agreeing with Dan. Oh, oh. oh. I do think <gasps> protection is well priced here. Gadone if you want to stay long. Dan? Uh, yeah,
5: I'm very comfortable being with Guy's Twitter here. <laughs> oh, of course I think at the kind of bottom are. there. Twitter. Okay. Nuance
4: breaking out to the upside, Melissa.
3: That does it for us. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more fast and money at Jim Cramer. Starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.